0: Today we're looking at the denial of the second coming of Jesus. The denial of the second coming of Jesus. Looking at 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through to 4. The whole of 2 Peter chapter 2 looks at false teachers whom the Apostle Peter warned would infiltrate the churches with their damnable heresies and with all subtlety. They are described as having eyes full of adulteries, people who walk after the flesh and who beguile unstable souls. They promise liberty whilst they themselves are the slaves of corruption. In that sense, chapter 2 is a very dark and solemn passage of Scripture, and it most certainly was not the easiest of chapters for me to preach on last Sunday. Whereas chapter 3, which we're starting with today, is altogether much more encouraging, or at least it is for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, in that the chapter is about his second coming. That said, chapter 3 also warns of scoffers who shall come in the last days and who will deny the second coming of Jesus. Presumably they are false teachers, the false teachers of chapter 2, whom Peter describes as filthy dreamers who defile the flesh and who by their heresies show themselves to be people who despise the lordship of Jesus. Let's have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 through to 4. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, And of the commandment of us, the the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that there shall be, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. In verse 1 there, a huge contrast can be seen. Having talked about the false teachers in the in the second chapter, having described them as having eyes full of adulteries, Peter now addresses the beloved. Very different, isn't it? From false teachers to the beloved. And the beloved are people who have pure minds. They don't have eyes full of adulteries. They have pure minds. Unregenerate people who are not trusting in Jesus and who walk after the flesh most certainly cannot be said to have pure minds. The very fact that they do not know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour bears testimony to the impurity of their minds and the darkness of their hearts. That is, I'm saying that for all who are not trusting in Jesus. Their minds are not pure and their hearts are dark through their ignorance. Therefore, the beloved is a term of endearment and deep affection directed at Christian readers of this epistle. It is only Christians who can be said to have pure minds and that is only because they have been sprinkled and purified by the blood of Jesus, and their minds receive and meditate upon the word of truth, the holy scriptures. Psalm 24 tells us that only those who have clean hands and a pure heart shall ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. Again, A purity that is both inside and even outside of a person can only happen if he is washed in the blood of Jesus and clothed with his righteousness. That, dear people, is the only way to get to heaven and to get to God. Putting it very simply, Jesus is the only way. In verse 2, Peter gives his reason for writing to the beloved to remind them of what has been said by the Old Testament prophets and also by the New Testament apostles. Note that Peter refers to the prophets as the holy prophets and that reinforces what has already been said by him in chapter 1 and verse 21 where it is written, let's have a look at that there, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but... But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The prophets were the voice of a holy and righteous God. It therefore follows that a rejection of the prophetic utterances that that are recorded in the Old Testament, any of the prophetic utterances of the prophets, if you reject that, it is nothing less than blasphemous. You have no right to reject the utterances of the holy prophets of God. So too is a rejection of what was taught and commanded by the apostles blasphemous, since they spoke by commandment of the incarnate Son of God. Chapter 3 looks in particular at what was said by the holy prophets and the apostles concerning the false teachers who would mock and ridicule the second coming of Jesus. Also the chapter looks at what the prophets and the apostles actually said and taught concerning that final great event in the history of the world when Jesus will come again. With regards to the mocking and the scoffing at the word of God, that has always been the practice of sinful people. It's nothing new. For example, there are Old Testament verses such as Isaiah chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. So we're going back over 700 years before Jesus came into the world. And this is what we read in those verses. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope, they say, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. In those verses, the Jewish people heard the threatenings of God by the mouth of his holy prophets and still they poured scorn on them in a daring and insolent manner not dissimilar to what we hear from ungodly people nowadays people who defiantly and scornfully challenge almighty God as they dare to put God on trial and blame him for all the woes of this wicked and fallen world How many times do you hear people putting God in the dock? Putting God on trial. Us, his sinful creatures, putting the Creator in the dock. Similarly, there's Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 15 where the prophet said, Behold, they say unto me, Where is the word of the Lord? let it come now, in other words people were saying to the prophet, where is all the judgment that you keep going on about? In the New Testament the mocking continues unabated with people saying, where is the promise of his coming? We see that in verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Maybe you've heard people pouring scorn on the second coming of Jesus, and maybe you even did it yourself. Before you were washed in the blood of Jesus, before you were justified in his name and by the Spirit of God. Without in any way condoning the mockery, perhaps you can see why it is that people who walk after the flesh and after their own sinful desires with no repentance, people who reject Jesus, why it is that they despise and mock the lordship of Jesus and anything to do with his coming again in judgment. Why do you think people do that? If you, if you struck up a conversa- conversation with unbelieving people about the second coming of Jesus, what kind of response do you think you would get from them? wouldn't be very pleasant would it why do you think that is they suppress the truth in order to walk after the flesh in order to do what they want without concerning themselves about giving an account to God a holy and righteous God so they suppress the truth and they pour scorn on the truth for the time being, God is letting unrepentant people get on with their sinful and Christless lives. He gives them over to their vile affections and to the reprobate or depraved mind to do the things that ought not to be done. God is letting people get on with it. We see it in this land of ours here. God is allowing ungodly laws to be passed and celebrated for now. However, we have it on authority of the holy prophets and the apostles that Jesus is coming again and it is appointed unto men once to die but after that the judgment. No one was clearer than Jesus about the fact that he will come again and he will do so in judgment. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats." The passage goes on to say that those who are blessed, that is, trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, he will say to them, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and they shall go away into life eternal. However, to everyone else, and that includes the false teachers, the scoffers, and all who have professed faith in Jesus and have called him Lord, but have never really possessed him as their saviour from sin, he will say to them, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and they shall go away into everlasting punishment. Not only do wicked people scoffingly dismiss the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the scoffers were right there at his crucifixion. As it is written in Matthew chapter 27 verse 39 through to 44. And they that passed by reviled him, insulted him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him. For he said. I am the son of God. The thieves also. Which were crucified with him. Cast the same in his teeth. As you can see in that passage. Everyone was at it. The crowd. The priests. The scribes. The elders and even the two thieves who were crucified either side of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were all scoffing at him as he carried away in his own body the sins of all he came to save. And that includes repentant scoffers and mockers. Such as one of those two thieves who later received from Jesus a promise that he would be with him today in paradise. That thief had been scoffing and mocking and hurling abuse at the Lord Jesus Christ. But then by the grace of God, he turned to Jesus in repentance. That scene at the cross shows the depth of the wickedness of not just false teachers, but also unregenerate and unbelieving men and women, generally. Everyday people like us. It also exposes the breadth of the mocking. By virtue of the fact that all levels of society were engaged in that scoffing at the cross. With that in mind, if you are someone who belongs to Jesus, that is, you believe that it is by the grace of God that you have been saved from your sins and that through faith in Jesus you are covered with his righteousness and the everlasting life that you now live is in the risen Saviour. You believe all of those things. I trust you understand that had you been in that mob Had you been in that mob at Calvary, as an unbeliever, you too most probably would have been scoffing at the Lord Jesus Christ and hurling abuse at him, ridiculing him, having shouted, crucify him. That would have been you and me, most likely. However, by the grace of God, you are someone who does not scoff, dear Christian, and you do not commune with scoffers. You have no interest in having fellowship with scoffers. As the psalmist said, the man who is blessed sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. By the grace of God, you are one of the blessed who says, come Lord Jesus. Next week, God willing, we will look at the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And not only does the prospect of doing that thrill my heart, I trust it thrills the hearts of all who belong to him and look forward to his coming. But for now, let me ask you, are you someone who somehow manages to justify a Christless existence by simply denying and rejecting the words of the holy prophets and the commandments of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus is coming again. Is that what you do? I want to get on with my life as I as it pleases me so I'll have nothing to do with any talk of Jesus coming again. If that is you, then you are denying reality, reality which is in this book, the Bible. And not only are you burying your head in the sand, you have buried yourself right up to your ankles. But the day will come when you will be pulled out of the sand and you will have to give an account to the Son of God, whose death on the cross for sinners and whose second coming you now deny. Don't be a fool. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he came down from heaven to fulfil the law's demands on your behalf and to sacrificially die on a wooden cross bearing away your sins. Nothing more important for you to do in your life than to turn to Jesus. Believe that Jesus is coming again and join the happy throng that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.